Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Uh, that's better. You need a little warm-up, so that's okay. We can work with that. Um, so once upon a time, I was supposed to be here February 28th, and on February 25th, I got the sniffles, but I'm, I get seasonal allergies, you know, there's pollen blowing everywhere, and things are growing, and so I was like, ah, that ain't no thing. But I'll be a good American citizen, get my COVID test, and so I did that, and then at 9.36 a.m. Saturday, February 27th, the government called because um, they apparently I had COVID, which was definitely news to me. And so at 9.37 a.m., I called poor blessed Aaron Gibson to tell him he was on his own. So um, I'm glad that COVID did not sabotage my attempt to be with you and that I get to make up for it. So I'm sorry for standing you up. Um, because of literally a case of the sniffles, but here we are. So um, thank you for having me back. Uh, word on the street is that we're in a series called The Whole Story. Hopefully that's accurate, uh, that you're going through the whole story of the Bible. And so I've been tasked with David, which I love. Uh, David's a really fun one, so that's what we're going to get into uh, together today. But uh, before we do, so I, just the last week or so, watched the, the new Wonder Woman movie, 1984, any of y'all seen that? Yay, nay? It wasn't that great, to be honest. I was kind of crushed about it. But um, even so, with the, the letdown that that movie was, uh, Wonder Woman still might be my favorite. Diana Prince is a boss. You know, she's got like the super speed, the super strength, speaks a dozen languages, has the lasso thing. She can run at a dead sprint in three inch uh, cheetah print stilettos. Uh, and so I just like respect. Um, and I know everybody's probably got their, their superhero biases, but the fact is, the more I think about this, the more it's safe to assume that America has a really weird obsession with superheroes. Have you noticed this? And if you don't believe me, here's some stats for you. I did some research per the New York Times. There are, in the last 15 years, 23 Marvel superhero movies with 14 more en route in the next two years. There are 10 DC superhero movies with five more on the way, which means that in the last 15 years, we felt the need to make 52 superhero movies. That's just ridiculous. I mean, that's, that doesn't make any sense, right? The storyline's pretty much the same, mostly tights and special effects, and every now and then they throw on a funny, clever line. And so um, I was thinking about this, and I was like, what gives? Why are, we, why are we so obsessed with this? Why is this such a big deal for us? And maybe it's because we, we really, Superheroes are everything we wish we could be, but we're not, you know, strong, invincible, beautiful, noble, independent, you know, whatever that is. Or, or maybe it's we, we kind of like the easy way out of combating evil where you just flash the bat signal instead of the, the slow, hard work it really is to, to transform communities. I'm sure there's all kinds of weird psychology you could get into why we like this stuff so much. But the fact is that these stories are seen by millions of people around the world in our, one of some of the most consumed stories in the world today, which is kind of wild when you think about it. And of course, this is not new, right? People have been telling stories about heroes since forever, and the Bible is no exception. It does have heroes in it. Um, and we're gonna look at one of the, the most epic figures in scripture, and this is gonna be King David, who starts as the ultimate underdog, and then he becomes the dream king. But before we jump in, I wanna ask you a question. And it's, according to the Bible, what makes a hero? What really makes a hero in Scripture? And then what are we supposed to do with, with that? It's 
that's what we're going to be looking at. But uh, we do need some, a little bit of backstory to this because there's a lot of ground to cover between, were you, were you all on Ruth last week? Is that true? I'm hoping that's true. Okay, that's, well, I'm going with, that's what I'm going with. So if you're on Ruth, here's what happened between then and now. Uh, the struggle is getting very real for the chosen people of Israel. They wanted a king. They got a maniac, King Saul. They literally asked for him, but now he's kind of devolving into paranoia and jealousy and insecurity, and that is not going well. And they've realized they need a good leader, um, but the fact is the God's provision of a good leader is not going to come from where they expect. And so enter King David, or enter David, not king yet. He's the runt of the litter. He's number eight out of eight boys. Bless his mom. Uh, And so you would not expect him to be the top draft pick, but God knows that he's a man after God's own heart. And so God promises that teenage King David is going to become the next king of Israel. And then a few years pass and nothing happens. And so that brings us to one of the most epic and famous stories in the whole Bible. And if you've ever kind of had any exposure to church at all, or even if you haven't, uh, you've maybe heard of David and Goliath. And so the Philistines, they're the bullies on the playground. They've been beaten up on Israel for a long time, and uh, now they're, they're in full conflict, and they're camped out in opposite sides of this valley, and it's really dramatic, and the Israelites are all freaking out. Um, and to make matters worse is the Philistines literally have their own supervillain. His name is Goliath. He is a giant. He's nine feet tall. His armor alone weighs 125 pounds. And he's kind of like the, the District 1 kids in the Hunger Games, where he's been training to be a killer since he was little. That's his job. And he's good at it, and he's scary as all get out. And so he stands in the middle of the battlefield in front of the armies of Israel with this proposition. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So, that's the throwdown. And the armies of Israel are wimps. They completely flip out. And for 40 days, morning and night, Goliath stands up and gives this speech. And all of Israel, God's chosen people who he's delivered from slavery in Egypt, he shows up over and over again to rescue them. They pathetically wimp out. And this includes three of David's big brothers who have joined the army. David is not in the army. Why? Because he's still in high school. He's too young. Uh, And he shows up late to the party, and he's only there because he's bringing lunch for big brothers. Uh, But he shows up in time for this big speech from Goliath, and he's outraged. He's like, this is ridiculous. You gotta let him talk like that? Why is nobody standing up to this guy? And so he's kind of throwing some shade, and he's going around uh, and asking what's gonna be done about this. And finally, word of this punk teenager gets back to King Saul. And this is what happens. So we're gonna read the rest of the story. We actually skipped a lot. Um, and it's going to be a long chunk, and it's good for you, all right? So hang in there, soak it in. This is as good of a story as you're ever going to hear. Um, so here we go. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. So David said to Saul, let nobody lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. 
And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. The teenage boy's flexing a little bit, but you got to humor him. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch on his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was just a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those who are gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And that is God's word. So Jesus, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it's a long one. Again, we skipped stuff. That's a long chapter. But I hope you go back and read the whole thing because it is so good. Can you see how well the, the story flows, right? They wrote this thing a long time ago, and these guys knew what they were doing. They knew how to tell a good story. Uh, but I want to come back to our question. There's so many directions you can go with this, right? There's so much to learn from this moment. But what we're going to do today is just this. In the Bible, what makes a hero? Why David? Why is David celebrated as the greatest king of Israel? Why is he the one who can defeat the biblical supervillain? What is it about him? And for starters, here's what's not the answer to that question. It is not, well, David's just different than me. He's braver. He has, he's, he's stronger. He's just better than everybody else. And we know that we know this isn't isn't the case because just a few chapters later, David is going to miserably fail with drastic consequences for all of the people around him in his life. You see, the Bible does a really funny thing with its heroes because unlike Marvel, unlike DC, the Bible wants you to understand that these people are not different from you. They're not superhuman. They don't have super virtues. Uh, they're not setting this bar that's impossible for you to reach. In fact, 
If you were gonna try and follow the example of these people, you would end up in jail sooner rather than later. For almost every single person in the Bible, they would land you with a rap sheet. They are selfish, they are flawed, they are fearful, imperfect people. Somebody once told me that the best of men are men at best, and this is also true of David. So it's not because he's a super spiritual, super virtuous, super hero. And so then we still gotta, we gotta ask though, so what makes a hero? If that ain't it, what is it? And let's look back at what actually happens to find out. And so the first thing that makes David a hero in the Bible is that David knew God. He knew God. He knew that he was fighting for the armies of the living God. He knew the story of how God had showed up in the history of his people, how way back when God promised Abraham that he'd use his family to rescue the world, about way back when when God rescued Joseph and used his suffering to save his family from slavery, about how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt and then from dozens of enemies since then. David knew the history of God's faithfulness, and he knew that God shows up. But it also wasn't just in his head. He didn't just know the Bible stories. David knew God personally. And we know this from the Psalms, right? The songs that David writes. And you've probably heard the most famous one that goes like this, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I may walk and roll scary places, I don't have to be afraid because I know that you're with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. So David had a personal, intimate knowledge of God that was grounded in the big story of God's faithfulness over history, right? He had the the heart knowledge and he had the head knowledge. So let me ask you, people of God, do you know the story of God's faithfulness in the Bible? I know you're working on it. Right, now that's what this series is about, which is why I'm so glad y'all are doing this. Um, But do you know how God has showed up for his people in the past? And do you spend time with him in the present? Do you actually hang out, do you talk? Because it's hard to know somebody you never talk to and you don't know anything about. And if daily time with God isn't a rhythm in your life and you're just kind of kicking yourself and like, I know I need to do this and you're just having a hard time getting, getting to it, it's okay, start small, baby steps. Start with five minutes. Five minutes in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I've admittedly a little bitter. I feel like all of the Christian life is designed for morning people and then us night people are just kind of there. So, but five minutes, right? Read a verse, talk to God a little bit, ask him to speak to you and see what God does in your heart. But David doesn't just know God. David trusts God and he learns to trust God. Did you catch this? In his day job before Goliath happens. When he's talking to King Saul, he says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. See, David started to learn how to trust God through just the regular challenges of his normal, boring job, which apparently had exciting moments with lions and bears. But um, the fact is that when the moment came and a whole nation was on the line, David just lived out who God had already shaped him to be in those unseen moments. In many ways, David never stopped being a shepherd. He just switched from shepherding sheep to shepherding an entire country, but the skill set was largely the same. 
So who are you when nobody's watching? When the teacher's not looking? When the boss is out of town? When you're on your computer alone late at night? Because those are the moments that reveal what we really trust, what we really love, what we really care about, and who we really are. And if you let him, God can use those unseen moments, whether success or failure, to shape you and to do a really incredible work in your heart that will have impact in the world around you. And make no, no mistake, y'all, trusting God's really hard, and Israel was awful at it, right? That's the reason you even have a Bible. It's be, the Bible's mostly about, in many ways, how terrible Israel is at trusting God and then how faithful God is anyway. Then New Testament, like that's, that's in a nutshell, right? So, so God delivers Israel from Egypt. They just watched him part the Red Sea. They walk across, and three days later, everybody's complaining that God has brought them into the wilderness just to die of thirst. Literally three days. Right? And the thing is, we can't get too judgy because we do the same thing. We do the exact same thing. Because there's one question that I think gets us in trouble more than any other question. And it's, God helped me then, but will he help me now? God helped me navigate that really, really difficult relationship last year, but is he going to come through on this one? God provided my family with the finances we needed before COVID, but I don't know. What if he stands me up this time? Right. God worked out that situation then, but this is different. How do I know? What if God stops showing up? And this is the fear, this is the question that caused Israel to crash and burn over and over and over and over again. And God kept showing up over and over and over again. But no matter how many times God proved himself to be faithful, that he would not abandon them, it was never enough. It was never enough. It took Jesus to solve that problem, but that's getting ahead of things. Um, and this is how David is different. His teenage David just took God at his word. David trusted God. He really did trust that no matter how stacked the odds were, that if he was doing something God needed him to do, God would come through. And that no matter how hard things got, that hard things were actually in his best interests, and that God really would work them out for good, that God would show up when he needed him. And he was right. So do you actually trust that God cares about you? That he's going to take care of you? And that no matter how crazy the odds, that nothing is impossible with God, and that even suffering in hard times, God is using to shape you. They are for your good. That God really will bring redemption out of those moments. That it is in your best interest to trust him even when it's hard and even when it's scary and even when it's painful. And y'all, if you don't actually believe that, that's okay. I mean, that's okay. We all go through that at some point. And the, the thing to do is just be honest with God about that. Don't just kind of simmer and be bitter about it. Take that anger and that anxiety and that frustration straight to God himself. That's what half the Psalms are about, is David whining to God. That's healthy for you. It's good for your soul to do that. God just wants you to be honest with him. And when you bring that, those emotions and that frustration and that sense of being abandoned, that's when God can do something in your heart. Um, so just be honest with him about that, if that's a struggle for you. But there's one more reason that David is one of the heroes of the Bible, and it's that David obeys God. He had head knowledge, right? He knew the story of how God had showed up. He had heart knowledge. He saw that work out in his own life. 
He trusted God's character and his faithfulness, and he did something with it. He acted on it. And when nobody else would stand up to the bully, David did. Not only that, but I love this line. I think this is verse 48. It says that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. David hustled toward the big, giant, scary supervillain. He ran at a dead sprint towards what's scary and destructive and evil. And it's not because David has the power on his own to defeat it. He's not stupid. He knows that he doesn't. But he knew that God would use him to bring about his purposes in his kingdom. He knew that all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So when the Holy Spirit pricks your conscience, do you listen? Do you respond? Do you confront the conflict in your life with, with gentleness and grace and honesty and seek reconciliation? Or do you avoid conflicts and just kind of simmer in passive aggressiveness? And do you confess the sin, the sin that you struggle with? Or do you hide it? Do you ask God to help you be kind to your younger siblings or your classmates? Or are you kind of a jerk? And do you give of your money and of your time? Are you obeying God? Knowing God, trusting God, obeying God. That's what makes a hero in the Bible, and it's in that order. And we see this play out in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. This is what the author says. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. I don't even have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised. It's not about super virtues. It's not about being more brave or more kind or more holy or self-controlled than anybody else. You're not. Sorry to rain on that parade. Um, and we know, because again, in just a few chapters later, David's going to be a profound disappointment. And every human being will. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. And it's knowing and spending time with Jesus, who is the good shepherd, the king of kings, who's going to shape you to look and act like him. Y'all, God wants you to join his mission to save the world, but he's not asking you to be somebody you're not. He's asking you to let him shape you into the the person you were always supposed to be in the first place. He wants to use you to bring about his kingdom. He wants your, you to become more real, more alive in him than you've ever been before. That is the invitation of God. That's the good news of God, not just the break-even gospel of Jesus saves you from your sin. He definitely does that, and it's awesome. But he not only rescues you, he invites you to be a part of what he's doing in the world, to bring about his rescue just because he wants you in on it. I'm gonna, gonna wrap up uh, with a little section of the introduction of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Anybody know the Jesus Storybook Bible? Um, I commend it to you. It is quite possibly one of the great theological works of our time. Uh, you know good kids authors can say it better than just about anybody else, huh? So um, here is the Jesus Storybook Bible for you. Now some people think that the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. And the Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes and sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times, they're downright mean. Nope, the Bible isn't a book of rules or book of heroes. 
The Bible's most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. Jesus, thanks that you have rescued us. Um, and God, we, we can't do this on our own. We can't be the people we want to be on our own. We can't trust you without your help. Uh, we can't know you without your guidance. We can't obey, obey you without the power of your spirit. Um, so Jesus, fill us with your spirit. Call us to yourself and turn our hearts to love you and to love the people around us. And come quickly, Lord. We're ready. Amen.